Well, like I was saying, we're in this series called The Way of Jesus. And in this series, really, we're just talking about what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? It's become a loaded term in our culture to be a Christian. When we say that we are a Christian, it represents wildly different things to different people based on their experiences, based on what they've seen, based on who they've known or, or where they've been. When I say that I'm a Christian, you may be picturing a hundred different things in your head when I say that word. Our goal in this series is to narrow it down and define who we are as Christians and really how we shift from being a Christian to being a disciple and a follower of the way of Jesus. In the first century, as the church spread, they called themselves followers of the way. It was language that came from Jesus himself because he declared that he was the way and the truth and the life. And so in early scriptures, you'll see them referring to themselves as the way. We know that it was really that whole first century, the primary language used for the people who followed Jesus. They were called followers of the way of Jesus. I believe calling ourselves followers of the way of Jesus is a little bit clearer in self-definition. Because our goal is to practice and follow the way of Jesus. And that is as simple as it sounds. We aim to do what the disciples learned from Jesus himself. We want to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. The connection that we desire with God, it doesn't come from adding a belief system to your life. We've all got this need and this desire for the spiritual. We've got this need and this desire for a relationship with God. And it doesn't just come from adding something to your life, a belief system, a religion, a set of rituals. It doesn't come from going to church once or twice a month or labeling yourself a Christian. It doesn't come from just a moment of walking the aisle or raising a hand in service. The satisfaction, the connection that we are longing for comes from a life lived practicing the way of Jesus. A life that moves us to know God, find freedom, discover our purpose, and make a difference. So today, we're going to talk about the very first step in becoming a follower of the way of Jesus. And it is the simplest step, and it is the one, I believe, that will create the greatest lasting impact on your life. And that is just very simply to learn how to be with Jesus. Let's look at the Gospel of John and his telling of the calling of the first disciples. This is in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. It says, The next day, John, John the Baptist, not John the author, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him saying this, they followed Jesus. And turning around, Jesus saw them and asked, what do you want? <laughs> I don't think he said it like that, but that's how I always read it. What do you want? Why are you following? You're following very closely. What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. 
Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree, but you will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Jesus uses two phrases in the Gospels when he's calling his disciples. One is follow me. We talked about that last week as we studied in another Gospels version of this story. The other one is the one that we see a couple of times here. Come and see. Philip repeats it to Nathaniel, modeling his teacher. Come and see. Spend time in the presence of Jesus and see the wonderful things that he will do. So how do we do it today? We don't live in the first century. We can't go sit and listen as he teaches. Obviously, things have changed. But the call of Christ remains the same that it was all those years ago. Follow me. Come and see. The method is different, but the call is the same. Well, Jesus tells the disciples how they're going to be able to continue to be with him as he sits with them at the Last Supper in John chapter 14. Verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit coming. And it's through the Holy Spirit that we are still able to be with Jesus today. Now, it can get a little bit difficult to understand when we start talking about the Trinity of God, the idea of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But God exists in three different parts. There's three aspects of one being. He is the Father, the one that we can't even look at him or our faces will melt like in Indiana Jones. The Holy One, the Creator, the Maker of all things, the author and perfecter of our faith. And then there is another part of him that is the Son, Jesus Christ, the, the Son of God, God made flesh who dwelt amongst us, who was sacrificed for our sins. But even the Bible tells us in Revelation that the way that Jesus looks today is very different than you and I. He's now in his resurrected body, his resurrected glory. He is glorious to behold, beautiful to see, very different than anything we see here on earth. And then there is the Spirit. And the Spirit of God is God and is with God in all of creation. It says, in Genesis chapter 1 that the earth became formless and void and the spirit of God rested upon the waters and as God begins to speak creation into existence it is the spirit bringing everything into life the Holy Spirit exists all throughout the story of the Old Testament it comes upon people in power God would send the spirit to them when they were being called to do something amazing or incredible in Jesus in the name of the Father he would come and sit in their presence when they were 
in the desert, on the mercy seat, on the Ark of the Covenant, in the tabernacle, it was the Spirit of God. It was the Spirit of God that would go before them and lead them in a pillar of fire or a pillar of smoke. It was the Spirit of God that would descend on Mount Pisgah and tell them to sit and wait and receive the law and the commands of the Lord. The Holy Spirit has always been a part of the aspects of God, a part of who God is, a part of this trinity that makes up the one true God has always been a part of the story, but the spirit was separated from us. In, in the story of creation in Genesis, it tells us that humanity is the only of God's creation, the only thing in God's creation that is both flesh and spirit. God creates them out of the clay. He makes man out of something physical, out of the flesh. And then it says that he breathes the breath of life into him. He breathes his spirit into him. And so we are both spirit and flesh. But when sin entered into humanity's story in Genesis chapter three, that spirit that we are made from was separated from the spirit of God. And no matter what we did, we couldn't ever make ourselves holy enough for the spirit to be a part of us again. That is why from Genesis three, all the way up to the book of Matthew, we see the story of God preparing the way for Jesus, that he might come and be sacrificed for our sins so that the Holy Spirit could once again dwell within us, make his home within us, that we could be made whole. It is why you have felt like you were not whole all of your life until the day that you've made Jesus, met Jesus. It is why you have been searching. It's why we long for the spiritual. It's why we are always trying to fill the gaps and the holes with everything that the world throws at us, with people, relationships, money, power, privilege. All the things that we're always chasing are just our desire to fill this hole that only the Spirit could fill. And so we can be with Jesus, and this is how. Jesus says, I'm sending my advocate to be with you. John 16, 7, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you that it is for your good that I'm going away. Because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says, it's better for you to have the Holy Spirit than to have me in your physical presence. Because now not only will I be beside you, I will be within you. I know that sometimes it may feel like it would be better to have Jesus living in our guest bedroom, you know? Wouldn't that be nice? Man, what should I do? I know. Hey, Jesus, you got a second? Let me just ask. You know, we would never have to buy wine again. We just turn on the taps, fill up the cups, give it to Jesus, take it back. Got some wine. It would be awesome. However, Jesus believed that for us, it would be better than to have the power of God and Jesus next to us, but that it would be better to have the power of God within us, that we could be in his presence and be united with him because of the spirit of God that lives within us. So the Holy Spirit came at the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter two, gives us access to God. Jesus believed that it was not only just as good, but better for us to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit than to be in his physical presence, that this would be how his followers would come to know him going forward, how we would be with him, how we would learn more about him. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, how it reveals scriptures to us, how it prays for us when we don't know what to say, how it gives us the boldness and the power to do the work of Jesus, how everything in being a disciple of Jesus is connected back to this power of the Holy Spirit. And so if we are going to be with Jesus, the answer on how to do that is through the Holy Spirit. But how do we do that? When John 15 begins to answer it, it says, I am the true vine 
and my father is the vine dresser. Verse one, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We begin to be with Jesus by learning how to abide in him and in his spirit. Now let's get practical with that. Through the Apostle Paul's writings in the New Testament and then through studies of church history, we can learn what this looks like. It's about developing spiritual disciplines and habits of prayer, scripture study, learning how to be in two places at once by practicing the presence of God. There was a monk, a French monk, many years ago who was not a priest. He was not responsible for translating scriptures, for doing any of the important monk jobs. He was just a cook at the monastery. His name was Brother Lawrence. And Brother Lawrence, as a cook in the monastery, he learned how to practice the presence of God in every aspect of daily life. He wrote a pamphlet. It's about a 45-minute read called Practicing the Presence of God. You should read it by Brother Lawrence. Practicing the Presence of God is his manifesto about how he learned to be near to God while he was washing dishes, how to, how to be mindful of the presence of God while he was gathering up mushrooms and berries to cook. He learned how to practice the presence of God every day, all the time, to be in two places at once. That is part of our goal in abiding in Christ. And the more time we spend practicing prayer and scripture and worship and Sabbath the easier it is for us to practice the presence of God while we're driving to work or doing the dishes or playing with our kids. It begins with these practical practices of prayer, scripture, and Sabbath. How do I be with Jesus as a disciple of Jesus? The answer is simple. You learn how to truly develop a real lifelong practice of prayer, scripture, and Sabbath. If you want to be a follower of the way, it's not just, and not just be a cultural Christian. These practices are essential to your daily life. Let's talk about them for a few minutes. First, let's talk about prayer. During his time on earth, Jesus spends a lot of time in the presence of, Father, of the Father in prayer. He's consistently described as sneaking away to quiet places to pray. Luke 5.16 says he frequently went to lonely places to pray. We see him doing it on a regular basis, talked about like it was a daily occurrence. His disciples are called to do the same thing. Just as Jesus got in the presence of his master, so do we. We do it alone the way that Jesus is described in doing it here. And we do it together with the disciples the way we see him doing it in the Gospels. So maybe the question that you're asking, maybe you get that. I, I would need to be in the presence of God and the way to start that is through prayer and that's all well and good. But maybe your question is, but how do I pray? How do I actually pray? How does it feel like being with Jesus and not just feel like talking to myself? How do I get to where I feel that I'm communicating with a living God and not like I'm talking to my steering wheel or the walls in my bedroom? 
Those are great questions, and I love that you're asking them. Let's look to Scripture, and we'll answer the first one. In Luke, it says that Jesus' disciples came to him and asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, the way that John the Baptist's disciples taught them how to pray. Will you teach us how to pray? And Jesus gives them this prayer. This is the one from Matthew's gospel in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, pray like this. This is Matthew 6, 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I bet I just unlocked some new scripture for you today. If you grew up in or around the church at all, you've heard this before. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Uh, if you grew up Catholic, you were reciting Our Fathers as a young child. If you grew up Baptist like me, you were doing Bible drills and you were crushing people with the Lord's Prayer. It's like five verses right there. I memorized all kinds of scripture today. I got a silver dollar at home that I got for memorizing this passage back in, in Bible. If you guys want to know what qualifies me to do this, it's my silver dollars that I got from Bible drills in Sunday school in 1993. Let's go. All right. Uh, the, the Lord's Prayer, this prayer right here is one that's been sacred to the church since the first century. The reason that any of us who grew up around or near Christianity know it is because it has been a part of our ethos as followers of Jesus since the very beginning. It has been one of those things that's connected us in an unbroken chain to these first believers. They would pray it, they would recite it, they would memorize it, they would embellish it, it would become a template for prayer. I believe that there is power when we recite the Lord's Prayer, that, that you can just recite it and that it, the Holy Spirit activates inside of you and it's a powerful and useful prayer. Sometimes when I just need, every Wednesday I pray through the Lord's Prayer. Actually, I do prayer Jabez on Wednesday. Tuesdays I do the Lord's Prayer. Whew, almost messed up my schedule there. Um, but I, I pray through the Lord's Prayer and sometimes I'll just open by reciting the Lord's Prayer and I just, I just let it kind of get me prepared to enter into the presence of God. And I think it will do that for you. But I believe that Jesus gave it to us as a template for prayer. He was not teaching them a prayer. He was teaching his disciples how to pray. Here's how you pray. And I pray this as a template. And I think it's an excellent way to learn how to pray. Pretty simply. You just, you just use this as a template. You open a prayer with worship. Because God is worthy of your praise. And there's no other appropriate way to enter into the presence of God. I would never enter into prayer without taking a moment to worship God first. I start with music, typically, that's me. I'll worship for a second in music. And, I, and the songs that I choose are very specific. There's a lot of different kinds of praise and worship. There's praise music, which is, it's a lot about me and the good things God has done in my life. And that is amazing songs to worship and sing. God loves to hear it. But then there's worship, which is just about God and about how good he, my favorite one is what a beautiful name. What a beautiful name, but it's an old song. I don't care. You know, sometimes I'm like, let's do what a beautiful name. And they're like, it's like 14 years old. That's not true. Morgan loves that song as well. Well, um, I made that story up. Um, sometimes pastors make up stories. You guys are going to have to just get over that. Um, 
But I'll listen to a worship song and I'll worship God and then I'll just worship him. God, I'm just so grateful to you because you are so holy and you allow me into your presence today. Thank you for letting me come near you. And you worship for a moment and then once you've worshiped for a moment, you ask God to use you to do his will on this earth and pray over what that looks like. Pray for our country, our leaders, our schools, our kids, our students, our culture. Ask God to use you and your community to make it all look more like heaven. Then bring God your requests, your asks, the things that you're, you're seeking, that you want, the, the, the big prayer requests that you have. Then pray confession and forgiveness and, and then pray prayers of deliverance. God, protect me from the enemy and the evil one. In Jesus' name, th this is a great template for prayer. If prayer is new to you, if prayer is scary to you, if prayer is intimidating, you can just work your way through this list, this, this Lord's Prayer, and find a conversation with God within it. There are a lot of good temp templates for prayer. There's a great book by Eugene Peterson uh, called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's about praying through the Psalms, through the Psalms of Ascent. It is a great resource. If you go to gatherashville.org slash prayer, our 21 Days of Prayer website, there is a button there that says Prayer Guide PDF. You click on that and it will take you to a resource created by another church in our network that is full of templates for prayer. It's an instruction manual on prayer. I pray prayers out of that book every single day. It is useful, it is clear, and it is designed for those of us who are just learning how to pray. Go look it up, find it, get into it, and start to pray. And then develop a daily rhythm. When you wake up, pray. When you're driving to work, pray. Before you go to bed, pray. Every prayer that you pray doesn't have to be an hour and 45 minutes long. I'm just going to tell you right now that God is not giving extra points for longevity, that he cares about the heart of your conversation, not the length of your conversation. Just in the same way that I am, I am, I, I do not need you to talk to me for an hour if you can communicate it in five minutes. Come on, somebody, you know. This meeting could have been an email. God feels that way too sometimes. All right. Get a daily prayer rhythm. Set up the space that you're praying in. Get, get something to make it sacred. I think it's special to make a space where you're praying sacred and set apart. God talks a lot about making things holy. Holy just means set apart. So have a specific chair that's comfortable, that, but not too comfortable that you might fall asleep. You know, a good chair for prayer. Have a candle that gets you in the zone. You know, I like those candles that say they smell like tobacco, but they don't smell anything like tobacco. If it really did, you'd light it and it'd be like a cigarette just burning next to you, which nobody would want. So it just says tobacco, but it's like a masculine scent. You're following me, okay? I've got one of those right here, you know? And, uh, and I've got the lighting the way that I like it, you know? And, 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 and then I get my worship music playing and I create an environment that is conducive to entering into the Holy Spirit in prayer. Pray. Play some worship music. Get your head and your heart on the same page. I just think, I, the first thing that I do every morning when I wake up is worship. I go in my closet and worship. I got a walk-in closet. Praise the Lord, you know, it's, it's a gift. And I stand in that closet with my clothes on the floor and my wife's side super neat. And I put my phone on my dresser and I just worship in the closet for a second. That's how I just want to start my day. Because here's what I find. When I start a worship moment, 
could be four and a half minutes uh, of All Hail King Jesus by Bethel. And we're listening to this for a minute. And at the beginning, a lot of times my problems are big and my God is small, but I start to worship. And in just like a four and a half minute praise, I can see the shift from my problems being big to now my problems are small and my God is big. My heart is renewed. And now I'm ready to enter into prayer. So play some worship music. And, and here's the other thing too. The more you pray, the easier it gets. Just like relationships with people. It's not any different. When you meet someone new, it's a little bit uncomfortable at first. You're trying to figure out what to talk about, how, how to communicate with that person. If you're like me, you're saying a lot of weird and awkward stuff in the beginning. And as time goes on, you're getting better and easier. And it becomes more natural to communicate with this person. And eat. when you see them, you just pick up where you left off and you're, you're just together and now it's a relationship and, and you're more relational and then you get to the space where it's okay to just sit and be quiet together and you're still enjoying one another. It's the same in your relationship with God. It'll follow the same pattern and the same path and it takes a little bit of time. You just pray consistently and constantly and you will get easy, it will get easier and easier and easier. Pray alone like that and then pray together. God's people are supposed to pray together. We're not supposed to only pray alone in our quiet times. We are the people of God. We approach the throne room of God in unison, together, in agreements. Matthew 18, verse 19, Jesus said, Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. We're going to talk about the intricacies of the Holy Spirit and what verses like this really mean in a, in a few weeks in a series we're going to do this fall called The God I Never Knew. But I'll tell you this, that there is a Holy Spirit inside of me and a Holy Spirit inside of you when you follow Jesus. And when we come together in prayer, those Holy Spirits connect and the presence of the Spirit comes into our presence. It's powerful. It's a powerful moment. And this isn't saying that God is a genie and anything you ask for, he's going to give you. That's not the point of this passage. The point is that when God's people agree in prayer and pray in the direction that God is going, there are blessings that he is ready to pour out on you. There are answers that he is ready to give you. There are movements that he is ready to let you participate in. We pray together as the people of God. Power and presence when we pray together. We worship him together. We ask for things together. We get in his presence together. We do this together in small groups. We come together and pray. Uh, at church, we come together and pray. These things are essential to us as followers of Jesus. Worship nights on our own with our friends in the presence of God. When your people are talking about a hard time they're going through, stop for a moment and pray for them and intercede on their behalf. When they're celebrating something, stop for a moment and worship God together. Be with Jesus in prayer. Do it often. Do it in many different ways. Second thing is in Scripture. A big part of a disciple's life was sitting and listening to the teaching of their rabbi, their teacher. They would hear object lessons as they traveled on the road. They would sit in large groups and hear sermons, like the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew. They would sit at dining tables and hear him teach. They would learn and their hearts would change from these words and these teachings. And as a result, they would begin to change. 
those teachings and those words would fill them up and they would become a part of who they are. They would permeate every aspect of their character and it would change them. This is the process of being with Jesus and then becoming like Jesus. It starts to transform us when we are constantly hearing the teachings of Jesus. As time went on, the disciples would share those teachings with others. And in the case of Jesus and his disciples, they would carry it on to as many other disciples as possible. And it all began with simply being with Jesus and listening to his words. When Moses is speaking to the Hebrew people before they would enter the promised land in the book of Deuteronomy, he's about to recap all the law and the things that God has given them so far. And he says this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. These commandments that I give you today, they're to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and then when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and upon your gates. In a very beautiful and poetic way, Moses is trying to impress upon the people of God to let the words of God be everywhere among you. Let them be in your heart. Let them be on your mind. Let them be the words from your mouth. Let them be in your car. Let them be at your dining room table. Let them be, bind them on your forehead. Make it something that is permanently a part of your culture. If you want to be with Jesus, you need to know the book. You need to know the Bible. And you need to not only spend time reading it, you need to let it infiltrate your life. Joshua 1.8 says, keep the book of law always upon your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then you will be prosperous and successful. So what does that mean? Does it mean that you're just a bookworm reading all day long with your AirPods in, listening to the Bible on tape all night long, just never stopping, never listening to anything else, never taking even just a second to read Harry Potter or something like that? No, it's not what it means. But it does mean to let it absolutely infiltrate every aspect of your life. Let it be your culture. My culture is what people experience when they are around me. You know the culture of a nation by spending time in that nation. You see it in the things that people say, the food that they eat, the art that they enjoy, the way they interact with one another, the, the music that they listen to. Culture is harder to describe than it is to perceive. I can't really describe culture as well as I can feel culture. It's something we know when we see it. Let the word of God be the culture of your home. Let the culture of your home be defined by the word of God. Because if you do not do that, the enemy has other plans in mind for the culture of your home. If you are not intentional about the culture that you create, one will happen that you do not want. Study God's word in the morning. Let his words permeate your language throughout the day. Talk about what he teaches with your kids in casual dinner conversations. Write his words on your doorposts. Bind them on your foreheads. Let it be everywhere that you are. You know, my daughter, she knows every country music song on the radio. All of them. Which is great, you know. But then you hear my eight-year-old in the back seat singing, you know, long neck, ice cold beer never broke my heart. I'm like probably should change the station more often, you know. She's back there 
Anyways, I could go on, but there's, it gets worse. She, she knows all the Morgan Wallen songs. They're not great. <sighs> it's my job as her father to make sure that she doesn't only know the words to every country song, but that she knows God's word as well. To make sure she knows songs of praise as well. To make sure that she understands what God says about her, who she is, who he's made her to be, what her potential is in this world. It's my job to create a culture in our home that scripture is at the center of. We be with Jesus through scripture. And we do it alone in the morning. That This is so easy. Developing a habit of reading scripture is one of the easiest things you can do that will have a huge impact on your life. It will change you, transform you, change the direction of your life going forward. Now, I'm ADHD, which means that I was born irresponsible, okay? That, that left to my own devices, I will never accomplish or do anything. I will just lay around in terrified fear of the task I'm supposed to accomplish tomorrow. That's what it means. Every victory that I've ever had, every pattern of structure that I have in my life, every ritual, every routine, every habit was hard fought. But I make it a priority to read scripture every day because I know that I need it. If I can do it, you can do it. And I don't just do it because it's my job. It hasn't always been my job. I do it because it's who I am. I am a follower of the way, so I need to hear the words of the way. Your phone makes it super easy. You could download the Bible in one year app. That's the one I use and I love it. It's a red and white icon with a B on it in the app store. Okay, Nikki Gumble is a pastor at HCB Church in London and he writes the content for that. That is the devotional side of it. And then it takes you through Old Testament, New Testament, a Psalm and a Proverb every day. You get different aspects of scripture. And if you do it every day for a year, you'll read the whole Bible in a year. I've been doing it for years. I love it. I love, uh, it has an audio feature that's really great. And it's nice because Pastor Nicky Gumbel reads the Bible to you. And he's, you know, it's interesting because he's British. He's got that British accent makes everything you say sound smart and interesting. You know, I know that's why y'all like it better when Martin Jones preaches than when I preach. That's okay. I'm comfortable with that. Uh, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and it's got a ton of plans on it. And you can just pick a plan and read it every day. Just pick a plan and read it every day. Pray, read the Bible, worship. Make it a ritual that defines the beginning of your day. I believe in the principle of the first. And that means I give God the first of everything. Everything. I give him the first part of my year in fasting. I give him the first part of my week on Sundays. I give him the first part of my day in scripture and prayer and worship. I give him the first of my finances because everything that I have comes from him. Pray. Read the Bible and worship. Read the scriptures alone and then study them together with others. Acts 2.42 is one of many places where it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That they got together around a dining room table and they talked about the words of Jesus. The apostles' teaching at this time is the gospel of Luke and the gospel of Mark and then the gospel of Matthew and then the gospel of John. They're talking about the gospels of Jesus, the words of Jesus. And they're doing it as they eat dinner together at the tables. They're doing it um, on the first day of the week as they gather in the temple courts, just like we're doing today. They do it in small group environments as they study God's word and talk more about how they're going to reach the people 
people around them. They're devoting themselves to this study of the scripture. Engage in conversations about scripture with your friends and with your family. Join a small group, lead a small group and lead people in these opportunities. Talk about God's word in those small groups. Go to church every week and learn from God's word and then go to lunch with somebody and unpack it some more. Let it permeate the culture of your life. Let it flow out of you the way that culture does. Scripture. And then the last one is this, Sabbath. It's a crucial piece to being with Jesus. Sabbath. Developing Sabbath. Having a Sabbath. Keeping it holy. Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments, and none of the Ten Commandments are canceled by Jesus. I hear people say this a lot, that the the law is fulfilled in Jesus. We don't have to do things like this anymore. And while it is true that there are a lot of examples in the New Testament about how the laws of the Old Testament were either completed or fulfilled by Jesus, or their meaning was changed in light of Jesus, the, the OG laws, the originals, the Ten Commandments, all Jesus ever does is reaffirm them. It give them stricter meaning, newer meaning. He says, yeah, don't murder. Also, don't hate people. That's what Jesus says. He doesn't eliminate the Ten Commandments. He uplifts the Ten Commandments, okay? It's not okay to lie now because Jesus came. Not okay to steal. Not okay to kill. Mark 2.27, Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He's talking to the Pharisees. He's telling them not to make it legalistic. And he's trying to help them understand, hey, Sabbath's not just a rule to follow. Sabbath's for you. This is for you. Here's here's why Sabbath is a crucial piece to learning to be with Jesus. Because every time I do a sermon like this, where I'm talking about the importance of a daily habit of prayer and scripture, I know the response. How am I supposed to add something else to my life? Where am I supposed to have the time for this? You want me to take an hour? 30 minutes out of my day to do this. I mean, I've already, I'm already up so early for work or I could barely have time to go to the gym and I'm, I'm trying to stay healthy. Uh, I've got little kids. They're yelling at me for 16 hours every day. They never leave me alone. When am I supposed to do any of this? I know, I understand. I understand that adding a new rhythm to your life can be difficult. That's why Sabbath is so important because in the culture that we live in right now, more so than other cultures, we are so busy, we're so full. We're going, we're going, we're going. We're moving at a lightning pace. There's always something coming next. We're always behind the eight ball. We're always full. I I would love to hang out with you, man. Let me look at my calendar. I'm good for December. What's your calendar look like? It's a Wednesday. You can't do that? Okay, let's try again next year. You know, we'll give it a shot. I think it's crucial for you to stop. Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to stop, to cease, to just stop for a minute. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy so that you can at one day every week stop everything around you cease the busyness. Don't check the emails. Don't get on the social medias. Don't engage in all the projects that you've got going on. Just rest and be in the presence of God. Practice the presence of God all day long. Talk about him. Sit at night. Uh, uh, go to Start by going and worship on a Sunday and worship and serve at church alongside your family in Christ. And then go and have a meal with somebody 
Enjoy it. Do something that you love that brings you rest, that helps you to stop and to pause. And then that night, have a meal, light a candle and celebrate what God has done in that week and talk about the things God is going to do that you anticipate he's going to do in the next week. And this stillness with God once a week, this day that you're giving him in the presence of Jesus, it's going to overflow into the days that follow. It's going to make more sense for you to have that hour, that 30 minutes, that moment of Sabbath each day to start in the presence of God. And it's going to teach you how to carry it out throughout your day where you will be able to be in the presence of God. You, you read your Bible six hours ago. Now it's lunchtime. You just got out of a meeting with somebody that is a hard person to love, but in Jesus name, you're going to do it. And now you're trying to figure out what's going to happen next on your calendar. And you're reminded, I'm going to be in the presence of God for a moment right now because I am his and I am being with Jesus today. And I read this in my Bible this morning and it's encouraging me right now. I'm going to share it with somebody right now. Don't hurry just for one day and it will pay dividends out in the rest of your week. Be with Jesus. Followers of the way of Jesus need to take time to be with Jesus. I believe that this step, being with Jesus, as a follower of the way of Jesus, that the simple things of prayer and scripture study, worship, Sabbath, that these are things that will impact you in ways that if you haven't brought this into your life yet, you can't even begin to imagine the amount of change you're gonna experience from these simple practices. It will transform you from the inside out. Look in the gospels at the stories of the men who were with Jesus. Look at them in the beginning and look at them by the book of Acts. These are different people. Peter starts out arguing with everything that Jesus says, missing the mark over and over again, getting chastised. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, to him one time. Another time he denies that he ever even met Jesus while Jesus is being tried for crucifixion. But a few days later, he receives the Holy Spirit and stands up in front of a crowd of people and declares that Jesus is the way. These guys transform. And the way that they've done it is just to have been with Jesus for a number of years. It will change you and transform you into who you were made to be. The satisfaction and the fulfillment and the joy and the blessing and the peace that you have longed for all of your life this is the way to achieve it. This is how you get there. God has just been waiting to fill you up with the spirit that he knows will complete you. You just got to be with him and he will deliver it. And so if you're in here today and you're ready to start that journey to be with Jesus, you're at your moment where I'm telling you that Jesus is the lamb of God. And like Andrew, you're ready to jump up and start following him to go and see what it is he is doing. All we have to do is begin with a prayer, begin with a, just a conversation, and then we'll go from there. We'll follow Jesus together. If you're ready to do that, every head bowed, every eye closed, would you say this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for trying to do this on my own. I need you. I believe in you. I believe in what you've done with me and I wanna be with you. So I will follow you with all that I am from this day on. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.